The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the big call by one Wall Street firm to buy big tech again, just as those stocks begin to report earnings. We'll debate and discuss with our investment committee this hour. Joining me today, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Joe Terranova, John Najarian. Let's check the market. Stocks are higher today, led by tech and the Nasdaq. So, Josh Brown, I turn to you. We focus on this call by J.P. Morgan. They say since the vaccine confirmation on November 6th of last year, Fang names are four of the seven worst performing stocks in their coverage universe. They have underperformed the S&P. Almost all of them are down over the last one month and three months. Is now the time to buy, as J.P. Morgan says? So uh, I think it's a fascinating topic because even six months ago, we were having conversations on this show, Judge, about whether or not the market could survive if these gigantic companies stumbled and how dependent uh, the market seemed to be on, on the FANG trade. And of course, that was completely untrue. And the opposite happened. The Russell 2000 raced about 26% higher uh, in the fourth quarter. Massive outperformance by energy industrials. Uh, and I think it's, it's a little bit poetic justice for all the people complaining about how index funds were propping up stocks and, you know, the whole market is Apple and Microsoft. Wrong again. Sorry. Um, so now what happens? Well, I'm, I'm long a few of these names. I do think you'll see dispersion in the returns between them. It's $6 trillion in market cap, and it won't all be pulling in the same direction. So I don't know if I can go fully in on the J.P. Morgan call, just like buy them all. Um, the ones I think uh, have, have the most upside in the reopening, I would probably say uh, Google, Alphabet. I think a lot of people uh, resume searching for things that they hadn't been searching for before, and that leads to more uh, ad revenue. Travel is a huge part of Alphabet's uh, annual uh, ad revenue, so that's going to return with a vengeance. So I like that name. And probably the most vulnerable for me, Netflix and Amazon, just purely based on less people sitting at home uh, and, and shopping that way and consuming video. So I know that's very facile, not very sophisticated. Uh, but that's how I see it. And uh, I am invested in Amazon, however, and uh, Alphabet. And I own Apple. Um, and I'm not in Netflix currently. I'm not in Facebook. All right, Steph, let's, let's talk price targets, okay? Here's what J.P. Morgan does for their overweight stocks. And by the way, Apple's not a part of, of this group. We're talking Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, and Netflix specifically, okay? Alphabet overweight 2050 is the price target, $2,050 for Alphabet. Facebook goes 330, Amazon 4100, Netflix to 628 dollars again. Overweight across the board. Josh, it's an interesting point. They acknowledge the reason why a lot of these stocks were down. Well, there was a rotation into cyclical stocks: the energies, the industrials, the Russell, and all of those things that have have risen uh, by leaps and bounds. Newer stocks, they call them, newer areas of the market. Um, 
maybe some stepped up regulatory pressure, too, as we start to think about what a Biden administration could mean for big technology. But the question is, Steph, is it going to revert to some sort of mean where you have people go back into those big technology names? I think you can you can be selective, um, but if you step back, we've been talking about this cyclical rotation for the overall market for the last couple of months because of the stimulus, because it's going to lead to better growth and better earnings. But even in technology, there has been a big rotation. Fangs have taken a pause. Software stocks have taken a pause. And and what's in favor? Semis, semi-cap equipment. Have you seen any of these DRAM names? They are on fire. I mean, LAM Research, Applied Materials, Micron, TSMC, they're up double digits and it's only the third week of January. So they're they're off like a rocket ship. And that was part of the rotation. And so why I want to say why, why I want to be selective in FANG is because I'm not convinced that that rotation is over. It could take a pause for a little bit. But I want to be in Alphabet like Josh. Um, I think I totally buy into the ad revenue recovery story. Remember last quarter, they beat on on uh, ad revenues that it grew 10 percent year over year. That was versus negative 6 percent in the second quarter. And that handedly beat expectations. So I totally believe in the ad recovery story and Alphabet will benefit. And by the way, so will Facebook. But I just think Alphabet benefits more. Also, they're getting more transparent. Also, they have operating margin upside. They beat operating margins last quarter relative to the street by 460 basis points. So there's a lot they can do there. You get the cloud exposure and you also have a $28 billion buyback. So that is my favorite. And oh, by the way, it also lagged all of the fang last year. So I like that as a catch up trade. I still like I still like Amazon. I still own that one. It's a small overweight for me. Uh, but retail online sales in the U.S. is only 20 percent penetrated. And there's only 15 percent of the workloads are on the cloud. So they have a lot of upside and they have a lot more going for them with regards to prime and grocery and India and lots of other areas that they can grow. So those are the two names for 2021 that I like. I'll tell you what, it's hard to find somebody who is in Joe Terranova's position these days, meaning the guy owns no fang at all, <laughs> Joe, right? <laughs> You don't find too many people who don't own any of the FANG stocks at all who are coming on this program and certainly a regular like you. Yeah, that that's not fair, Scott. I mean, I, I, I get it. What do you mean it's not fair? It's a fact. Yep. It's a fact. I own I own I own app. I own Apple. And I said Microsoft. we're talking pure fact. I own Apple. and You don't own Facebook. I, you don't own okay, Amazon. But, you don't own Alphabet. You don't own Netflix. OK. Um, but I, I do consider Apple and Microsoft the same characteristics of the fangs. But let's talk specifically about the fangs themselves. Uh, Alphabet, I agree with what Josh and Stephanie are saying. Alphabet is the one name to me that stands out where if I'm going to take something out of the portfolio, I'm putting Alphabet in. I think one of the points that Stephanie make that is really uh, a strong one is the increase in buybacks. Understand in 2015, they bought back a little bit less than $2 billion worth of their stock. They're now committing close to 60% of free cash flow towards buybacks. So this is something that is not going to be cyclical in its nature. It's secular over the next couple of years. They're going to be very aggressive. That's the one name that I would commit new capital to. Lastly, Stephanie also brings up the strength in semis, and that's exactly where I am right now. I think the semis, because of the economic rebound that we're witnessing in Asia, that's the right place to be in technology. What would get you to buy the, the bank stock? I mean, why don't you own any of these big mega cap techs, Joe? I, um, I, 
I was out of Amazon previously. I don't understand what I mean. It's not a trick question. No, okay, but your question is, why don't I own any of the mega cap technology names? Scott, I own two of them. So I understand we're talking about the fangs, but you asked me, why don't you own any of the mega cap technology names? I own Apple and Microsoft. I've owned them forever. Of the four that you were talking about today, Alphabet is the one that I would buy. I would not buy Netflix. I would not buy uh, Facebook. Those don't look appealing to me. Amazon, if you pull it back, that's a name potentially that I would buy. But Alphabet unequivocally is the one that stands out of the four. Okay. John Najarian, JP Morgan, buy the big tech stocks again. Are they right? Yeah, they are, Scott. Um, and I, I'm sure we'll be hearing that Joe uh, adds to that sector, which, as he said, he's already got some. I'm sure he'll add to it, Scott. I think that this was just a pause in the big techs. I don't think it was that huge rotation and for a whole bunch of reasons. Obviously, you know, when we're talking about those mega caps, you're talking about an awful lot of money that would be coming out of those. And did those hundreds of billions of dollars that people were predicting to come out, would that have lifted all of those? I mean, it's it's more than the entire uh, uh, industrial sector, Scott. Uh, Just just those five, if you had a a five or a 10 percent drawdown, it would flood the market with all that capital. So they'd either have to have been buying bonds, which they weren't, or, uh, you know, based on the direction the bonds were going anyway, Scott, um, or uh, it really wasn't coming out. They were just taking a pause and, you know, taking little bites uh, of the other stocks, whether it's infrastructure, industrials, energies. I mean, again, you can just take that 1% or 2% from those mega caps, put it into those. SPACs. Yep, IPOs, yep. All of that. I agree. Joe, I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not picking on you. Um, I was trying to get to. Oh, you never there, do. Never. I would never do that. <laughs> if there was sort of a broader, <laughs> a broader theme into why you were not in the traditional fang names. I'm not suggesting that being in Microsoft is. Fair question. Uh, you know, makes you some terrible investor. OK, I understand what Microsoft stock has done. It's reiterated as the top software pick yet again today at Morgan Stanley. They're overweight and the price target is $260. Nor would you be wrong for not being in the fangs over the last few months. They've gone sideways for all intents and purposes since September, right? It has not been a great trade to be in. There's been a chance to generate a lot more alpha elsewhere. That's correct. And I think there are two considerations for our viewers. First of all, and we'll get into this uh, with Mike Wilson, but clearly a little bit of normalization in rates is going to be a challenge for these mega cap technology names and the very defensive nature that they represent as bond proxies. In addition to that, one of the reasons why I've been hesitant to buy Alphabet, and you're right to be critical. You can say, listen, you keep talking about Alphabet, how wonderful it is, the buybacks are going to increase, step out and buy it. One of the things that I've been focused on and communicating is that I want to make sure and incorporate in an equal weighted strategy. The equal weighted S&P is up nearly 3.5% so far year to date. So having Apple, having Microsoft, and then adding Alphabet, that's going to take me a little bit away from that equal weighted strategy. So that's something that I have a primary focus on. Um, but Microsoft, it has been a holding, a long-term holding for me. 
I view it as the most diversified of the mega cap technology names. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit more about the news with GM uh, later in the show, but I view that as phenomenal. Uh, and certainly software, you're not going to get a better balance sheet. And I also think, Scott, too, there's not the regulatory headwind or the perception of a regulatory headwind with Microsoft that there might be with some of these other mega cap technology names. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, the market loves the, the Microsoft GM investment, obviously. I mean, GM stock's ri ripping on that. Yeah. And I hear you 100% on your concerns about interest rates going up and how that would impact the growth trade. Our next guest today, our feature guest, one of them for, for certain, uh, is focused on that. It's just a matter of when, not if, uh, rates are going up. Mike Wilson, he is the chief U.S. equity strategist for Morgan Stanley. Welcome back. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Good, thanks. Um, that's an issue to think about, right? Rising rates, and you think they're going to continue to go up. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think there. I mean, there's always issues. I mean, our job as, as strategists is to try and uh, just, you know, uh, shed light on things that people may not be paying attention to. First of all, um, the equity market is traded already as if rates are going up, meaning all of these, you know, cyclical stocks have moved in advance of what we think will be a higher rate move. Now, rates have moved up to support that idea, but we think they could go up quite a bit more over the course of the next, you know, several months. And we have a lot of things right in front of us that are happening, whether it's the, you know, the Biden proposal for more stimulus, you know, Janet Yellen's testimony, she's very supportive of that kind of a, of a view, you know, that drives more inflation, it drives rates higher. And yeah, there are a lot of stocks in the last, you know, call it 10 years that have benefited from falling nominal and real rates. And if that goes in reverse, it doesn't mean they have to get crushed or go down, you know, 40%. It just means that they're going to lag in this sort of more, cyclical recovery that uh, we're, you know, we're still pricing. I mean, Yellen gives you exactly what you're talking about today, right, with the, the go big. And that's, that's what right. the market has been moving on, and maybe even more so once it became clear that Democrats were going to have control of the Senate. That's, that's exactly right. I mean, the political environment has changed dramatically just in three months. I mean, uh, and it's been kind of a drumbeat. And, you know, that's, that's not going to reverse. I mean, uh, that's where we're going and this has been part of our thesis all year, as you know, Scott, since March, is that we said, look, the policy response this time around is going to be gargantuan because it's a health crisis. And, you know, that's only going to continue further with the political change in Washington. And that's all good for growth, and it's good for inflation, but it also means rates could move up in a nonlinear fashion. Mm, I mean, you have to assume the Fed would get involved even more at that point, right? Well, why? I mean, let's, let's, let's just talk about that for a second. The Fed's goals are to get inflation back to, or, I'm sorry, unemployment back to where it was. That's their primary goal. Let's get a full recovery. And if rates start going up because, in fact, the economy is improving faster than maybe anybody expected three or four months ago, and don't forget, the Fed put their, you know, laid their plans out three or four months ago when we didn't have vaccines and we didn't know the outcome of the election. And there was a lot of grandstanding in Congress. Well, that's not going to be the case anymore. So they have to adjust their thought process, right? They do have to have some, you know, sort of two-way risk in the market at some point. Mm. And letting back-end rates go up because growth is better, how does that kill the economy? I don't think it will. I mean, you, you know, Powell spoke last week. So did other Fed speakers with, with Leishman. They didn't give any indication that they're, you know, ready to move anytime soon. I mean, Powell didn't have to reiterate, not even thinking about, thinking about, thinking about, thinking about, but he made the point. They're in no hurry to do anything. Direct. So why are they going to be in any hurry to do yield curve control? Right. And we're not talking about the front end, Scott. Right. There's no way the Fed's raising rates and there's no way they're going to announce tapering anytime soon. I, I take them at their word in that regard. 
But if the back end of the market starts to creep up, starts moving, you know, why should they allow, why should they stop that if it's not, you know, hurting the recovery? That's, that's my, that's my sort of pushback. But either way, in, the, in, in that environment, right, if things play out the way you think they might, you want to still go with cyclical stocks over technology, which we began our program today talking about why that's the place to be. That's right. And, and when you say technology, you got to be a little bit careful because there's a lot of cyclical parts of technology like semiconductors, right, which we are favorable on. Some of the hardware space, some of the laggards, they can do quite well. So technology is a very heterogeneous group. I mean, it's not all one group. But the longer duration, high multiple type areas will be vulnerable to uh, a rate rise if it gets a little bit more uh, out of control. Okay, you're, you're right. And I should have been more specific. I'm sorry, the way I was talking about you know, mega cap technology versus other more cyclical areas that you just said, like semis. And I'm glad you, you corrected me on that. Speaking of correcting, is the market ready for a correction? Does it need one? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we get, we get said that for the last three or four months. I mean, it's pretty, uh, it, it, it's gotten pretty extreme in the sense that there, there isn't, hasn't been a lot of two-way risk in the last you know, month or two. Uh, there are pockets of speculative behavior that, you know, your, your panel has talked about. And I think that's right. So, so it's due for some kind of a pullback, but it may not happen because the liquidity is just too strong. I mean, we have two ways, you know, liquidity is getting into the market two different ways now, both from the Fed, which is obviously buying assets, which is taking duration out of the market in, in forms that then gets moved into stocks. And then secondarily, you're getting more stimulus checks that are going into people's hands and they don't have anywhere to spend it because the economy is still close. What are they doing? They're investing and they're trading the stock market. So that kind of liquidity is pretty powerful. So we may not get a correction for a while. It may take, it may take a little bit more time. Okay. Josh, you have something from Mike Wilson? Yeah. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for this note and for being on today. I wanted to ask you about comps this year and whether or not that's going to be a psychological headwind. We know that certain... Uh, Certain companies and, and entire sectors experienced massive acceleration in uh, revenue, in earnings, in adoption, in growth outlook going forward. But now we're going to start lapping uh, that period of time. So come early April, we're going to be hearing about comps for big tech and uh, consumer electronics, et cetera, versus the pandemic period. Um, we might put up great numbers because the economy is expanding again. They just might not be as good because how many how many TVs, how many computers can people feasibly buy? So do you worry about that with NASDAQ valuations or consumer discretionary valuations? Do you think we're going to look at those numbers and be disappointed? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point, Josh. You know this as well as anybody. I mean, comparisons is something that probably people forget about, and then it hits them in the face, you know, as you come around the full calendar year. And what you're really describing is just the work from home versus the back to work sort of, you know, trend. And absolutely, and it's not just tech stocks, by the way. There's a lot of essential businesses that benefited from, you know, people staying at home, non-tech companies too. And absolutely, I think that one of our themes this year is that there's going to be a shift in wallet. So people spent money in certain areas because that's all they could spend money on. As the economy reopens, they're going to want to do different things, experiences, travel, et cetera. And so the shift in that wallet actually not only does it make the comparisons look difficult, we can actually see a payback in demand uh, uh, for some uh, services and some businesses that had benefited from the pandemic. So absolutely, that's another sort of alpha theme that we're focused on this year. Mike, we'll talk to you soon. I got to run. I appreciate I you. you being on. That's Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson with us. I want to get to some new uh, some moves from the investment committee. Uh, they're really interesting. Steph, uh, what's up with selling <clears throat> Nike? I was surprised to see that. <laughs> it's Uh-oh. taking gains, right? I mean, I just it's up. Oh, did I lose? Did I lose you? No, you didn't lose me. 
Oh, okay, sorry. I've been having some connection problems. So Nike's, um, look, it was up 33% last year. I thought they did a very good job in terms of the digital transformation. It's only 30% of their business is DTC. And so that's all good and it's great for margins, but it's trading at 46 times forward estimates. And so I just took profits. Um, I, uh, I prefer VF Corp. I prefer TJX. They're, they're laggards. And I think they will be winners this year and they'll play catch up. Um, and I, uh, I added Viacom, CBS, um, it's not exactly undiscovered. I get it. Um, but I, I do like the combination very much. They've done a really good job in terms of execution. I think the synergies are going to be more than people expect. And they're, they're getting more competitive in streaming. I have no streaming exposure other than Amazon. And I did want to have a little bit more. Um, and the stock is trading at six, uh, with a 6% free cash flow yield. So plus you have an analyst day coming up as well. So, um, so that's, the, that's where I put the Nike money. Trying to remember back to, okay, so you, you've sold out of Home Depot? Right. Yep. You sold out of Nike. And there's another isn't there another one in that sort of basket of big gainers, more <laughs> cyclic. I can't well, remember it. Honestly, I'm not playing around. I, I can't remember. Is there another there is another one, isn't there? Well, I sold D.R. Horton. Okay. So I, I sold a lot of my housing exposure. Right. I still get housing exposure with TJX, though. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to look for the ones that have, have, have lagged and where there's some, some value there. And so I think that those other these other names like TJ's and VF offer better value. OK, uh, Josh, you have some interesting moves too. Uh, Stewart Information Services, which you've talked about on this program, you've owned it. Um, you sold that. Yep. Yep. You sold that. Talk to yep. me first about that before we get to a buy. I, I still think the company is destined for a bright future, took a profit. Um, the stock had been stagnant recently, and there was something that uh, I, I felt that I wanted to own instead. So there's, there's nothing wrong with STC. It's done very well. I think it'll continue to. Okay. You bought Live Nation, and that's the, the interesting one. And, and maybe that goes, and I think it does, with you know, one of those things you told us within the last, I don't know, 10 days to two weeks about the kinds of stocks that you thought were going to work uh, moving forward. Yeah, you just heard Mike Wilson say the same thing. The, the companies that benefit most from the reopening, it's going to be fairly intuitive. These stocks are going to work the most. Um, and, it, and it doesn't have to be more complicated than that, just like 2020 wasn't more complicated. So I think we've had our fill of spending money at Home Depot and, and, uh, and Best Buy. It's not that you want to be short those names or they won't have a great year. They certainly could. But I think uh, a lot of attention is going to be redirected to how we actually want to spend our lives outside of our homes. And you look at Expedia, you look at Madison Square Garden, Entertainment, some of the other names I've mentioned. But I think Live Nation really is the biggest pure play on what I'm trying to express. Um, this is a stock that's hovering just below its 2019 high. Um, it's a fairly asset-light business. I think a lot of people don't even understand the story. At its heart, it's basically a marketing and advertising business. Um, and I, it's almost it's in a duopoly, pretty much. There's one other competitor, but they have the rights to virtually every important venue where concerts uh, and various events of that sort happen. That calendar is coming back online. A lot of the ad budgets that went to events for 2020 that were canceled, the money wasn't sucked back out of the company. They just held on to it and they apply it forward. So I think the company spent this year basically repositioning themselves for the open. The balance sheet is now flush. They raised a lot of new money, so it's a stronger company than it was the year prior. And the stock's about to break out, so it's a $15 billion market cap, which is tiny compared to the size of their business. I think there's a lot of upside here, and when it does break out, 
I think the stock will get discovered. So um, I've been a, an admirer of the company for a long time, and now I'm finally an investor. It is, is, it, it is interesting, um, John Najarian, that you know, as, as Steph is looking at these areas where she's had a big profit and Josh is looking for areas where there's been big profit and you look at another stock, you may want to buy instead. And this is the last point I'll make in this space before we take uh, our first break. Peloton, Chewy, and Fiverr, I bring those up because they're all downgraded, Doc, to a sell today. <laughs> and that is at UBS. You're talking about three stocks. You know, in the last three months alone, three months alone, Pel- Peloton's still up 11%. Chewy's up 53% and Fiverr's up 34%. I could give you one-year totals that are, you know, 360 to 50, 795% respectively for those three names. That's what you got going on, though. I mean, whether it's Wall Street analysts or investment committee members on the halftime report, it seems to be a look through the portfolio right now at areas that have had big gains and wondering if the best has been gotten and it's time to look elsewhere. Well, and in the case of Chewy, Judge, you've got, uh, you know, Wolf. Petco just came out last week with its IPO. Um, granted, it was only up 60-some-odd percent versus Poshmark at 140. But there, there are some reasons to pull some of those uh, gains and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take a level. I do the same thing, Scott, with digital assets like Bitcoin. I tell people, look, you don't have to chase them here. You can set a number in your head, wait till it gets down to that level and start scaling in. I think all three of those names that you talked about are great companies. But I think you'll get a chance to get into that Chewy or Peloton. And you've had dips before in 2020, late 2020, and even into this year where you've been able to catch nice 10 and 12 percent jumps after a sell off in those names. So I'd say be patient rather than, you know, giving into that FOMO. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Up next, oil is back above 50 bucks, up 8 percent so far this year, 30 percent in three months. The big question I know you want to know are bigger gains ahead. Renowned energy trader Mark Fisher, he is with us next to weigh in on that. He'll tell us how he is playing the natural gas trade as well. We'll talk names. We'll talk with Mr. Fisher. We'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. President-elect Biden's nominee to lead the U.S. intelligence community telling the Senate that there are clear priorities for reestablishing trust with the American public. To be effective, the DNI must never shy away from speaking truth to power, even especially when doing so may be inconvenient or difficult. To safeguard the integrity of our intelligence community, the DNI must insist that when it comes to intelligence, there is simply no place for politics ever. President-elect Biden has nominated Pennsylvania Health Secretary Dr. Rachel Levine to be Assistant Secretary of Health. She is poised to be the first openly transgender federal official approved by the Senate. 
And in Louisville, Kentucky, Erica Shields has become that city's fourth police chief since the killing of Breonna Taylor. Shields was formerly the police chief in Atlanta until she resigned after officers shot and killed Rashard Brooks while responding to reports he was sleeping in his car in a Wendy's parking lot. You are up to date. That's the news update, Scotty. I'll send it back to you. I appreciate it, Sue. Thank you. Energy, the leading sector this year. Oil prices have risen above $50 a barrel. The big question now, is there more money to be made in that space? Let's ask a legendary trader in the oil patch, Mark Fisher with MBF Clearing. Good to see you, Fish. Happy New Year. Welcome back. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Looking at oil just before you're coming on here. TI's at 53. Brent's at 55. Sustainable? Can this continue to go up? Are the prices sustainable? Probably. Are they going to continue to go up? I think with all the index rebalancing that took place in the um, last week, I think the easy money has been made being long energy futures. Now we're going to see whether or not really there's an issue between supply and demand. But all the rebalancing and all the money that came into oil around the first of the year and through all the index buying is over with. So now it's really a, a supply and demand issue. It's, a, it's been a recovery play, right? I mean, the, the oil market, like every other market, is a forward-looking deal, correct? Yeah, I mean, like, last time I was on with you, in the beginning of, uh, you know, when, when May crude went negative, there was nobody There was nobody bullish in oil, and, except for maybe Goldman out in the, later on in the, uh, out in the year. Now everyone's bullish. So to me, I'm a little hesitant to be buying energy futures here unless you could see um, some supply shocks or something happened with Iran. But I think the, uh, the energy equities are definitely still going to be you know, a good buy. What's interesting, before we get to some equities that, that you like, even on the other side of the pandemic, right, once we get back to whatever normal is, is going to feel and, and look like, you're still going to have a supply-demand issue, aren't you? Aren't you still going to have more supply on the market than demand can bear? You would think that that's what everyone thinks. I'm not so sure about that. I think that Saudis cut last week. I think you're seeing different issues of, you know, how quickly will shale come back with, with the price of oil being $50? I, 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 I like to trade price. And I like to trade price action. I like to trade momentum. And to me, will oil get to, you know, from the mid-50s to the you know, 60s? I don't know. But I do think that if, if, the, if the market just stabilizes here, I think all the energy equities are going to represent still value. I think people are going to go ahead, you know, the ones that don't, that still don't, you know, that will buy non-ESG, you know, ESG stocks and continue to buy the energy. Well, what about that idea that you just raised? This, this notion that, you know, there are now, whether it's institutionally or others who won't buy, uh, you know, old, dirty, uh, fossil fuel plays in the patch, and now they're looking towards clean energy, and it's all about ESG. That's legit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, if you, if, you know, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of, of the of the stock market world that won't touch cigarette companies, and for a long time, when the cigarette industry was you know was a uh, anathema to the to the market, those stocks, Philip Morris, those stocks did really well. So, I, I think that. Select energy names are still going to be represent good value. I think that you're going to see the range resources and the Southwest and the EQTs and even the Exxon Mobiles and BPs. They're still going to be as long as we don't revisit, you know, the $40 range, the low $40 range. I think those names are going to be fine. But like range resources, that's at the top of your list. Um, Southwestern Energy, 
you yeah. own as well. Yeah. Uh, and that's a very much a natural gas side of the story yeah. that that you like better than crude, correct? Yes. I mean, if you look last when I was on last last time in um, in May or in April, okay, I told you those names acted well. They've acted even better since then. I do think though that natural gas is a unique commodity because really it's like how to describe this? It's like owning milk in a refrigerator. So 98% of the time, there's plenty of milk to give out to everybody. So the price of the milk doesn't explode. Once every 10 cycles, 15 cycles, there's not enough milk. And then you have to have the price, you know, skyrocket in order to inhibit demand. So the question is, do you want to own the milk or do you want to own the refrigerator? And obviously if you own the refrigerators, if you own capacity, if you own, um, um, the uh, the storage you've done really well, and I still think that with RRC, SWN, you know, EPD, those names, I don't think you can really get hurt as long as you know the market doesn't, you know, fall out of bed, and as long as energy doesn't go back into the low forties. Yeah, uh, Joe, uh, music to your ears on range, right? You you um, look, you've, you've known um, Mr. Fisher for a long time, and you're in as well, Joe. Range resources, right? I think Joe, Joe shot froze <laughs> fish, which happens from time to time in this new world of, 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 of doing television. Uh, yeah. John Najarian, you have a question for Mark Fisher? Well, um, I have, I'll, I'll do two real quick. Um, one is, Mark, uh, obviously the, uh, the jump in the price of uh, fossil fuels has really helped the green energy play as well, because from a competitive standpoint, green energy becomes a lot more competitive at $55, $65 crude oil, does it not? That's the first one. And the Absolutely. other is if you can tell us anything at all about your what you're doing in the medical side, because I know you've got some cool stuff there. That's right. When I was with you, John, last time we were discussing the digital drug coupons, I'm not ready yet to, to discuss that, but that to me is probably probably the most exciting thing I've worked on in the past 20 years. But that's, that's not, that's not, I'm not ready for that. Yet. But, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do that when the time is right, Mark. Yeah, but, Go ahead but, with the, the other thing, side of the question. Yeah, but the thing, the thing that's interesting to me, again, the one thing I worry about, and I wish Joe would, get, you know, would be able to chime in on this, is because a lot of the times weird things, weird, weird stuff happens in the market around the 19th or the 20th of the month. And for everyone who's traded with me since I know, the 80s, you know, I'm very respectful of the time period around the 19th or 20th. Think about it, Scott. Crude oil, when it went negative, was on April 20th, which was a Monday after the 19th of the month. The market in March kind of bottomed like around the 22nd, the 21st of the month, after around the 19th of the month. Um, and again, here we are around the 19th or the 20th of the month with everything ripping, the Biden administration coming in. So to me, just overall, you know, moves that are parabolic, I get a little how should I say this, nervous around the 19th or 20th of, of, of the month it, in, in, in everything. Okay, so in other, in other words, you're, you're like, I, I know you're, you're picking a date out of a hat, essentially, but um, you've seen the moves that we've had in the patch and the price and wondering whether we're at a near-term top. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, a near-term extreme. I mean, there's too many days in my memory that keep coming back to me around the 19th and 20th out of the blue. You know, or, you know, bottoms or tops. So look, I mean, the most obvious one is the crash of 87, October 19th. There's too many 19th and 20th dates that I always get nervous this time of a month. And I'm always usually wrong, thank God. But I get, 
I just get nervous around these types of days because what's gone on in the stock market, what's gone on in the energy market, what's gone on in Bitcoin, what's gone on, so many, so many dramatic moves that I don't know. This cyclically, this just this this is a this is a pause time for me. Probably, I hope I'm wrong. Usually, you know. <laughs> I think we got Joe back. Joe, you there? You can hear me. Hmm. Yeah, I am, Scott. I'm back. Mark, good to see you. Um, question for you. There's been the last couple of years this belief that, well, we might want to move towards clean energy, but we're not really going to get there. We're going to stay with dirty energy. Isn't natural gas exactly that bridge between dirty energy to clean energy? And aren't we potentially at this moment where, yes, we're going to begin to move towards clean energy? I think we've already moved to clean energy. I think the move has started already. I think natural gas is not the perfect clean energy, but it's a lot better than, as you call it, dirty energy. I think if you look at the price of natural gas here in this country, we've become spoiled. The price is below, you know, $3. If you look over in Asia, I think last week, Asian LNG was trading north of $20. So I think that, I think that, yes, I think natural gas is the fuel of the future here in the United States. I think these prices of sub $3 are not sustainable long-term. I think that the mood of the market is slowly shifting on the curve where it used to be, if there's no cold weather sell, to now if there's no warm weather kind of buy, although right now we're going through a warm patch, that's why natural is getting destroyed today. But in general, you're seeing a shift to in the paradigm of where people are, are not gonna go ahead and you know look to hedge at their production just because we're above three dollars. And I think out on the curve, Cal 21, sorry, Cal 22, Cal 23, you're gonna start seeing prices north of four dollars. And I think we have one regular cold winter, and I think the, the whole price curve in natural gas is gonna shift. Mm, yeah, somewhat mild, uh, certainly in the Northeast thus far. Uh, Mark Fisher, good to see you. We'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Take care, Scott. All right. That's Fish joining us there. All right, coming up, we have a double upgrade for a financial stock. One of our experts owns it, so we'll debate it. We'll do it next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We're back. We welcome in Rahel Solomon looking at the best performing stock in the Dow right now. It is AXP. What's going on? Hey, so it's getting a double upgrade at J.P. Morgan Scott. Good afternoon to you. So the rating goes to overweight from underweight. Price target here jumps $43 to $148 a share. So the firm's saying that for the first time, Scott, it's actually overweight on all the card issuers. That's on EPS growth and capital return prospects. A few reasons for the call. So JPM expects high-end spend to return. It sees pent-up demand for leisure travel potentially being an unprecedented catalyst in the second half of 2021. 
also points out that American Express is among the best in their coverage universe for earnings growth and upside, the potential for reserve releases and also buybacks. And Scott, Piper Sandler also just named American Express its top idea for 2021. The stock, a uh, bit of an outperformer today, but has lagged the big card issuers over the last year, still down about 4%. Scott, I'll send yep. it back to you. All the ones you named having a good day. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon there. Uh, Stephanie Link, you own AXP, American Express. I do, I do. And it definitely is a play on the economy, recovering, reopening. It's not just consumer spend and travel spend from the consumer that I expect to pick up. I actually think the business side, T&E, should also improve gradually as you reopen. So plus very easy comparisons, tremendous balance sheet. They've really weathered the storm as best they could in a really challenging time. So I like this one for 2021 a lot. All right, we'll take a quick break. More trades ahead. John's got unusual activity still to come. We are back on The Half right after this. All right, welcome back. John Najarian tracking unusual activity. All right, John, give me the names, please. All right, let's do it, Judge. Um, Marvell, uh, this one, 4,000 of the March 60 calls trading very rapidly in Marvell, MRVL. Um, I bought those for about $1.80, Scott. And since these are March options, I'll probably be in them most of the next two months. Second one, real quick, Lyft, L-Y-F-T, a really big trade, 14,000 of the this week expiration January 50 calls bought for about 40 cents, certainly a cheap shot and a big one, a big bet, 1.4 million share equivalent. Lastly, Scott, you talked about GM and so did Joe, I think, at the top. Um, General Motors, big call buying started last week at the 52 strike. I bought those. It's moved up now to the 54 and even the 57 strikes in General Motors. And that Microsoft endorsement was huge for them. Right now, they're buying an awful lot of this week expiration January 54 calls, Scott. Up 10%. We'll, we'll call it that for GM. Doc, thank you. Josh Brown, you own General Motors. Yeah, I, I bought the breakout in the 30s, and I think that's really the, the takeaway here. Um, when, when you buy breakouts in very large, widely followed stocks, like clear, convincing breakouts, usually what's happening is that Although everyone already agrees on the facts, their opinion about how bullish those facts are starts to change. And that's really been the story. The stock is now up 50% from where I first came into it. Um, Fundamentally, not much has changed, although this news is exciting. It's the perception that's changed. And I think that that's really uh, something that every investor should have in their arsenal, the ability to spot breakouts, which is not that difficult to do. Um, But oftentimes, the breakout tells you when to buy while the fundamentals tell you what to buy. And in the case of GM, it's been all good news ever since it's broken out. That's not an accident. Price is intelligent because price is the combined opinions of all of the people who are involved with the name right now. Kudos to you. Uh, Big props to Farmer Jim. Jim Labenthal has been talking about General Motors longer than anybody on this show. Um, Good for him. Good for those who invested, too. All right, more trades ahead. And as we go to break, a look at some of the stocks hitting new highs today. CarMax, Eli Lilly, Texas Instruments, among them. We're back right after this. Time for the futures outlook. Gold is rebounding after hitting its lowest level since December uh, earlier today. Let's bring in Scott Nations and Jeff Kilberg. Killer, you first. What now for gold? It's sort of people talk about everything but gold lately. 
That's right, Judge. And it's interesting. The technicals are lining up. I'm optimistic and bullish here. And the technicals, it's interesting. You bring up the point that we saw that breakout from 1750 all the way up to 2000. We did have a retest to your point in December, but now it seems like despite the fact that we are seeing lower highs, gold is poised to move higher from a technical perspective. Scott Nations. Uh, I'm not so much. It's no, it's no accident that it really got creamed on the 6th because that's the day that the 10-year yield jumped convincingly above 1%. And higher yields are really a horrible thing for gold. Higher yields are also helping the dollar. That's also horrible for gold. If you want a safe haven, nobody's paying attention to gold. They're all going to Bitcoin. Yeah, that's why I say uh, no one's talking about gold, it seems. They're talking about Bitcoin and everything else. Janet right. Yellen's talking about gold, Judge. Janet Yellen. Yeah, all right. That's a big one. All right, guys, thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, we'll do final trades in a minute. However, look at the NASDAQ highs of the day. So we're bringing it full circle to how we began the program today, talking about that note from J.P. Morgan saying now is the time to once again buy the FANG stocks. They are all as well at the highs of the day. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet. We did not talk about Apple included in that group because they didn't. But there is Facebook up about 3%. Netflix reporting after the bell tonight. That stock having a nice day, as are the others. All right, let's do some final trades. John Ajarian, you, my friend, are up first. All right, thank you, Scott. Um, I'm going with my buddy Josh, Live Nation. Um, during the show, perhaps because Josh was talking about it, LYV calls active. So I bought a call spread out there in February. All right, John and Jerry and a little live nation. Oh, whoa, General Motors up 9% today. Is that yours, Josh Brown? Yeah, I'm, I'm staying with this thing. I think it goes much higher over the next three years. Okay. Stephanie Link? Emerson Electric. I got two upgrades today. This is a play on oil and gas recovery and the CapEx to improve from here based on higher oil prices. They've done a great job restructuring the company. Margins have upside. Great, great balance sheet. Um, and I, uh, I wish David Farr good luck in his retirement at the end of the year. All right. Good stuff. I just want to note as well, I, I mentioned Jim Labenthal and General Motors. He's been in it for three years. Um, so some big payoff going there. All right, Joe, wrap it up for us. What's your final trade, Mr. Joe T? I love the fact that Jimmy's been in it for three years. I will buy GM at some point, but let's buy Drive, D-R-I-V. That's the ETF for autonomous and electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. 68 basis points is your expense right. ratio. This is going a lot higher. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.